You know what your problem is? That's a great way to start a message, isn't it? Your problem is not your problem. In fact, not only is your problem not your problem, your main problem is that you don't know what your problem is. Most of us have discovered this to be true somewhere along the way in our lives. It's impossible to fix a problem when we don't know what's wrong to begin with. Impossible. It's impossible to fix a problem when we don't know what's wrong to begin with. It's like when I'm driving along in my vehicle and I start to hear a, a funny noise, right? like a knocking sound or a whining sound or a grinding sound or whatever, or, or my car won't start. You know, I, I, I do what, what most men do. I, I, I pull the latch and pop the hood up and I, I stand there with my, with my hands on my hips looking down at the engine. And then I go to the trunk and get out the coveralls that I always carry and the 400-piece mechanics tool set that I... Uh, <laughs> that's not what I do. I close the hood and I go call somebody. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know anything about engines. I might as well be looking in the, in the glove compartment. I don't know how to, to do anything with it. I, I don't know how it works. I mean, I, I have to look. It's what guys do, but I don't know how it works. And so I would never be able to fix the problem. So here's the deal now. A lot of us have been trying to fix ourselves for a long time. A lot of us have spent money trying to fix ourselves. And some of us, our spouses sent us to talk to somebody about fixing ourselves. I mean, either you get fixed or I'm out of here because you're a problem. But it's hard to get fixed if we don't know what our problem is to begin with. Now, we're intelligent people, right? I mean, we wouldn't be in church here today if we weren't. Right? And we have some theories. Most of us do. We've thought about it. We've given it some thought. And it's not like we haven't tried. We just haven't figured it out yet. And so some of us have lost jobs because we couldn't figure out how to fix ourselves. And some of us have lost marriages because we couldn't figure out how to fix ourselves. And some of us have lost money and sleep, and time, and self-confidence, and reputation, or a relationship with somebody significant in our lives, because there's something about us that needs to be fixed, and we haven't been able to fix it, and that may be because we don't know what's wrong to begin with. Our problem is that we don't know what our problem is. Today, we're beginning a four-week series of messages we're calling Freedom Road. And we're going to be looking at the fix we're in and, and, and how we got in that fix and how we can get out of it. Because the fix that we're in is keeping us from getting on down that freedom road. Would you agree? It's keeping us from getting from where we are to where we want to be. It, more importantly, it's keeping us from getting from where we are to where God wants us to be. And so here's how this series is going to go. Today we're going to look at the fix that we're in, and we're going to try to get our heads around an explanation of how that fix came to be, how we got into it, based on what the Apostle Paul teaches us in the New Testament. And then for the next three weeks, we're going to look at how to fix the fix we're in. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time in several chapters of the book of Romans. 
So you might want to turn over there. If you brought a Bible with you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans in the New Testament. I strongly, strongly encourage you to bring a Bible with you. Now, we always provide the scriptures in the message notes. We always put them up on the screen. Um, but there's just nothing beats having your own copy of the Bible that you can underline and highlight and take notes in. And maybe you do that on a tablet or a, or a smartphone. That's fine, too. All of those programs, all those apps that I know about have means for you to highlight and put notes in and all that kind of stuff, too. But if you don't have a Bible that you can read or understand, we'll give you one. Absolutely free. It won't cost you a dime. Just write on your Connect card, I need a Bible, and we'll see that you, that you get one. I want to set the stage by looking at how Paul describes his fix. How, how he describes the place that he found himself in before he discovered how his fix could get fixed. And it is a passage of Scripture that I dare say everybody in this room, everybody that was here in the first service, everybody I know can find some of themselves in this passage of Scripture. We'll start off in Romans Chapter 7, verses 15 and 16. <laughs> right off the bat. I don't really understand myself. Well, amen. Neither do I. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. Now, don't forget, Paul was a Jewish man who converted to Christianity, right? He grew up as a Jew, and he became a follower of Jesus. So he's talking about the Old Testament law here. And he says, you know, if I agree that I'm doing something that's wrong, it means that I'm, like, validating the law. I, I agree that the law is right on this point. But he could have been talking about any kind of law. He could have been talking about our civil laws, the laws of our towns and countries and counties and, and our nation. He could have been talking about workplace rules and policy. How many of you know you've got to follow those when you work somewhere? Right? He could have been talking about um, our own internal code of what's right and wrong. We've all got that. We've all got this internal code. In which we look at some things and say those are right and others and say th that those are wrong. But you know what's so funny about us? Is that we don't even consistently do what we think we should do. Forget what the, what the Bible says or what the church says or what your, your wife or your, your mother-in-law or your boss. Forget what they say. We all have this internal thing that says, this is what you ought to do. This is what you shouldn't do. And we don't even do that. It's like there's two of us. And there's the part that says, if I, if I can just do this, I'll be a better person. I'll be a better husband, a better father, a better employee. You know, here's what I ought to do. But then there's that other part of us that always seems to do what we shouldn't do. And Paul gets that. Right? So, now, sometimes we, we take these people in the Bible and we kind of we make them other than ourselves. We put them in some kind of special category, right? But they were men and women, flesh and blood, just like you and I. And Paul was too. He, he says to us, yeah, what you're talking about yourself, that's me too. Listen, in, in Romans 7, verses 18 and 19, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Paul says, I don't do what I should do. I, I, I don't even do what I'm convinced is right. I, I don't do what I know is good for me. And we would say, yeah, Paul, that's, that's me too. So here's the question then. 
Why don't we just do what we're supposed to do? I mean, what's wrong with us? Why don't we just do what we're supposed to do? I, I think that everybody I know could benefit from a little counseling like this right here. Watch this. Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, C come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlisle referred me. Oh, yes. Uh, still being a very alive in a box. Yes. Yes, that's me. <laughs> Should I lay down? Oh, no, no, no. We don't, we don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And uh, let, let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I, um, I charge $5 for the, for the first five minutes. And, and then absolutely nothing after that. How, how, how does that sound? That sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can I can almost guarantee you that that our session won't last the full uh, the full five minutes. Now, um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in in cash or by check. <clears throat> wow. Okay. And uh, and I I don't make change. All right. <laughs> and go. <clears throat> go. Well, tell what? me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive, and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm... Uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it? Yes. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you, you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> it is. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, no. child. Think about how great church could be if we would just do what was right. 
you know, do what was good for us, do, uh, do what we were supposed to do. We can just come in here, sing a couple songs. I get up and say, stop it. See you next week. I mean, we wouldn't need message notes or we wouldn't even need a Bible. I could give you like half an index card with the same four points. Stop, don't start always. That's it. Bye. But I mean, come on. If you're a grown-up and you've been a follower of Jesus for more than like an hour and a half, do you really need me or anybody else to tell you what you should or should not do? Do we really need another diet book? Do, do we really need somebody to say, oh, you shouldn't be looking at those things on the internet. That's, that's bad for you. It's bad for your marriage, bad for your, your soul. Do you really need somebody to tell you that? Why don't we just do what we're supposed to do? What's wrong with us? A dog can be trained easier than I can. I mean, I, I can housebreak my dog. I can't housebreak me, not literally, figuratively. So what's wrong with us? Paul's going to help us answer that question. And these verses that we want to look at today in Romans are some of the most complicated and complex and yet ultimately rewarding verses in the entire Bible. For some of you, this is going to be review. You've heard this before. For some of us, it's going to be brand new, but I'm going to tell you beyond that, no matter how long we've been following Jesus, or even if you're not a follower of Jesus, we all have some things in common. We all have things that we need to stop doing, and we've tried, but we can't. We just can't seem to stop. Or maybe there's some things that we need to start doing, and, and we just can't get the momentum. We can't get the start. We can't get past go. We know that there are some things about us that need to change, but we can't seem to make any progress. And Paul will say to us, it could be that you don't understand what your problem is. So let me explain to you what our problem really is. And then we'll look at a solution. We're going to be in Romans 5 pretty much for the rest of the, this message. So you want to turn over there in your Bibles, Romans chapter 5. And we're jumping in right here in the middle. But going to kind of go slow. I'm going to try to build up a little bit of the time here as we go. Uh, in verse 6, Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul says, when we were utterly helpless. Now that, that helplessness, that's, that's what he was talking about in chapter 7 that we looked at just a moment ago. He's kind of pointing forward to what he's going to be talking about in chapter 7. You know, I, I try to do right, but I can't. I don't want to do wrong, but I do it anyway. It's like I can't help it. It's like I'm helpless. So Paul says, when we were totally helpless, Christ came and died for us sinners. There's our first roadblock. There's, there's our first roadblock. There's the first place we get offended. Who are you calling a sinner, Paul? I mean, you know, it's one thing for me to call myself a sinner. I mean, after all, nobody's perfect. But you don't even know me. Well, if we're going to discover what our problem is... And, and, and we're going to discover a solution. We've got to acknowledge reality. And reality is that Paul nails it, even though he's never met us. He knows, he understands. We're sinners. In some translations, it doesn't say sinners. It says ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. It's the same thing. 
means exactly the same thing. God is perfect. We are what? We are imperfect, right? Or we are unperfect. That means that we are not like God. We are unlike God. We are ungodlike, ungodly. Ta-da, you get it? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody, preferably somebody you don't know, somebody you've never met before, and I want you to say, you're an ungodly sinner. Go ahead. Do that right now. Turn. Hey, hey, just one person. Just one person. And preferably somebody you don't know, like I said. Listen, we all need to hear that because it's true. It's true. It's true about all of us. We are all ungodly sinners. But don't miss this. Jesus died for ungodly sinners. And that's awesome. And that's amazing. That's weird. That's really weird. Paul acknowledges that in verse 7. Look at verse 7. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? I just can't hardly think of anybody I would be willing to die for, no matter how good they are. And if they're a bad person, forget it. I'm not going to die for you. But that's exactly what Jesus did. That's what Paul says Jesus did. He died for sinners. Look at verse 8, Romans 5, 8. My favorite verse in the entire Bible. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, now think about this. See if this doesn't light you up. It's hard to pin down exactly, but the, but the best sources, the best information we have tells us that Paul is about nine years younger than Jesus. Okay? So Jesus was probably crucified around 34, 35 years old. So for a significant portion of their life, Paul and Jesus lived at the same time. Although Paul's testimony is, I never got to see him in the flesh. I never, I never heard him teach. I never knew him in the flesh. He met Jesus after Jesus had been um, ascended, resurrected and ascended back to the Father. He's the only apostle to meet the ascended Christ. That's interesting. That's a sermon for another day. But Paul, so here's what this means. When Jesus was crucified, Paul's in his mid-20s. Do you think that Paul might have thought, you know what? When Jesus, literally, when Jesus was dying on the cross, I was wherever I was, sinning in whatever way I was sinning, at the exact moment he was dying for me on the cross. And in fact, Paul preached to a lot of people who had been alive at the time that Jesus was alive. And don't you think that thought crossed their mind too? Well, wait a minute, Paul. If what you're saying is true, that means I was sinning at the exact moment Jesus died on the cross. Who does that? Who's willing to, to die for someone who's sinning who's doing the very thing that's causing my death at the exact moment that I die. To you and me 2,000 years later, 
This verse means that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for every sin that ever has been or will be committed. All of them. It was for every sin we'd committed in our past. Jesus died for every sin that we're going to commit today, this afternoon. I don't know what you're going to do. Just keep staring straight ahead. Don't give yourself away. It means he died for every sin we will ever commit in the future. Well, now watch this. I want you to, to watch Paul switch up how we think about sin. Okay? It's in verse 12. Romans 5, 12. So it's when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now, <clears throat> make sure you get this. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying we need to think of sin as a noun, not a verb. He says sin is a thing. It's an entity. It's a, it's a, it's a force. And once upon a time, there was no sin in the world. So how did it get in the world? Well, it came... Paul said, through one man. It came into the world through one man's act of disobedience. When Adam disobeyed God, when he sinned, sin entered the world. Now, we're going to get our heads around this for the next few weeks. Paul doesn't describe sin as something we do, as an action, as a verb. He describes it as a thing, as a noun that results in verbs. Sin results in sinning. And right there is why we have so little success trying to fix ourselves. Because what do we focus on? We focus on the verb, don't we? We focus on the things that we do. Instead of focusing on the noun, we've never dealt with the noun. Now Paul goes on to tell us that sin brought death with it. We've all experienced that, right? We've all seen our relationships killed by sin. Or careers killed by sin. Or finances killed by sin. And it may be that somebody has literally been injured or killed, died because of our sin. Death always follows sin. Adam sinned, sin came into the world, and death followed. And so death spread to everyone because everyone sinned. Okay, Pastor, what, I get what you're saying. You're saying that one day, at one point in my life, I sinned, and so death came into my life. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Let me see if I can explain it a little better. We're going to call this Adam. That's Adam there, okay? <coughs> And uh, let's see if we can do this. There we go. See, once upon a time, there was just Adam. Adam is, uh, is the first man, right? He's our original ancestor. And in fact, if every one of us traced our family tree back and back and back and back, as far as we could go, traced it all the way back to square one, guess where we would all end up? Adam. So there's a sense 
in which we were all in Adam way back then. Right? Because we were all in him because he passed on, you know, things to his children and their children and theirs and theirs and theirs. And kind of forked out and spread out and went around the world until it came to, to us today. So there's a sense in which we were all in Adam way back then. And whatever Adam did, we did. Because he was the first person and we were in him. So when through Adam sin entered the world, because we are all in Adam, then guess what? We were all in sin. Because of here, because we were all in Adam, we were all in sin. Everybody, everybody, this is me, in Adam, in sin, born in sin. Okay, this, uh, this, is, my, this is my sweet, precious wife. I'm going to put this one right here. Just for a minute. I just can't hardly bear to, to put her over in there. But here's my, here's my kids <laughs> in sin. <laughs> here's Billy Graham. Get out of there, Billy. Where's Mother Teresa? Here's... Uh, here's... Um, David Wise, who's the most sainted Christian person you've ever known in your life? Huh? Help him, Cheryl. Who's, who's the most sainted Christian person he's ever known in his life? Cheryl? Here's Cheryl. In sin. Here's my, listen. Here's my dear, sainted, old, Bible-reading, praying grandma. And here's your dear, sainted, Bible-reading, praying grandma. And here's everybody else. Here's everybody in, in, who would ever live, who would ever be born in this world. Okay? All of us. In Adam. In, bless your heart, and you got to go in there too. <laughs> in Adam. Born in sin. So when Adam sinned, it's as if we sinned. And just like sin contaminated Adam, sin contaminated the entire human race. Which means, and this is big, okay? This is a big point here. Make sure you get this. Our problem is not our sinning. Our problem is that we are sinners. It's not that we are sinning. It's that we are sinners. And we are sinners not because of anything we've done but because of who we are related to. Well, that's not fair. No, it's not. <laughs> Nothing's been fair since the Garden of Eden. I mean, since, since the Garden of Eden, we, we live in a jacked up world. We, we live in a world where things break and decay and go wrong and, and people make bad decisions, horrible, evil decisions, and, and a world where, where people die. Some of them innocent some of them children and babies and it's not fair but it's reality because sin came into the world through adam and that means we were all born in sin and death followed sin the reality is that we were born in adam and each of us is born a sinner 
You ever notice that nobody had to teach us to sin? It just came naturally, didn't it? Why? Because we were born in sin, because we were in Adam. Sin entered the world because of one man contaminated the entire human race. And when our kids get to be about one and a half, two years old, it kicks in, doesn't it? I mean, did you have to teach your child to, to try to hide when they were doing something they know they shouldn't do? You never taught them that, did you? Did you have to teach them to lie? You know, to, to look you dead in the eye when you ask, did you do this? Did you make this mess? Did you tear this up? And they go, no. <laughs> you never taught them that, did you? The parents said, well, they used to be so precious. I don't know what got into them. Paul says, I do. I know what got into them. Sin is awful and terrible and hateful and universal. And wherever it goes, death goes. And eventually every one of us, every human being will realize. It's like there's something in me that, that I can't seem to control. It's like there's something in me. It's other than me and I I can't get a grip. Here's how Paul's going to help us. He's going to go on now to make a contrast that is so important. Follow along. Romans 5.15. Verse 15. We break it down just a little bit. The first part says, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. Here's the first mention that Paul has made of God's gift. So what's he talking about? Well, he's going to explain it a little more in just a second, but here's a heads up. He's talking about the gift of a right standing with God. The gift of being made right with God. The gift of, here's the big theological word, justification. It's God looking at you and me and saying, I see you as someone who is completely forgiven, completely clean, just as if You'd never sinned. That is God's gift to us. It's like a complete reversal of the situation that we find ourselves in because of Adam's sin. Watch this, the rest of verse 15. It says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. There's Jesus. <laughs> Paul says, here's, here's what we've got to understand. Just like we were all born in Adam, when we become a Christian, we're all born again in Jesus Christ. In other words, we're taken out of Adam and we're put into Jesus. And that's incredible. And we will sit here and ho-hum. You know why? Because what were we taught that all this was about? That all this was, was for? It's so we can go to heaven when we die. But Paul doesn't mention hell or heaven or anything else like that in this discussion. No, this discussion is aimed at those of us who stumble through life wondering, 
why can't I do what I ought to do? Why does it seem like there's this, this, this thing in me, this power that seems to take control of me and, and it overrides me and I do stupid stuff that I, that I know I'm going to regret and I make decisions that I know are going to hurt people and I do things that I'm going to wish I hadn't done, but I do it anyway. Is there any, is there any hope for that, any help for that? Can I escape that? Paul says, okay, hang with me here. This is driven by being born here. But the gift, the gift of God's right standing with him, of being made right with him, is immeasurably more powerful than having been born here. It's more powerful than the power of sin that came into our lives because we were born in Adam. Look at verse 16. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. Okay? The result of being born again here, totally different than the result in our life of having been born there. We were born here. We were born in Adam. means we were born in sin. What followed sin? Death. Well, what does Jesus bring? Life. Can't get more different than that. Again, verse 16, right in the middle. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. You want to know, you know where condemnation comes from? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know most of the time it comes from other church people. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like the real condemnation. It, it comes because, not because of what we, had, what we had done. It comes because of what he did. It comes because of what Adam did. That's where condemnation comes from. Not because of what we did, because of what Adam did. Going on, verse 16. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God even though we are guilty of many sins. When we're born again here, we're given a gift. The gift of right standing with God. The gift of being made right with God. The gift of righteousness. And watch this now. It's not because of anything that we had done or have done, or are doing. It's because of what he has done. And if going to heaven when you die is all you got, well, you're missing out on some exciting, liberating stuff. Going to heaven when I die is great, but that's someday off in the future. I hope. <laughs> I hope it's not today. Right? I mean, the later the better, as far as I'm concerned. But Paul, Paul's talking about stuff that's for right now, that, that, that's for today. See, we know what life right here looks like. We know what life in Adam looks like. That, that's, that's, I can't do it. I can't do what I ought to do. I do what I shouldn't do. Paul says, I got great news for you. Move it from in Adam to in Christ. It's not, about, it's not just about what happens when we die. It's about a lifestyle. It's about a way of living. Oh, here we go. Here come the list. Here comes the things that I've that I got to do to get myself in shape. Here comes the pitch to do more, try harder, be better. 
No, because Paul says, this isn't about what you've tried. This is about what is true about you. This isn't about your activity. This is about your identity. You see, birth determines our identity, not our performance. I mean, when I was born, you know what my dad said? That's a gamble boy right there. Bless his heart, he only got to say it three times. I've doubled him. But listen, neither he nor I, he didn't look at me, and I never looked at my sons and said, well, we'll just have to see. We'll give it a year or two or three, see if it turns, see if it turns out to be a gamble. I wasn't born a gamble. Birth determines identity, not performance. That's, that's bigger than you realize right now. That or I'm better at preaching than you are saying amen. But uh, Yeah, that's too late now. You missed your chance. Maybe it'll come around again later. I'll let you know. Look at verse 17, Romans 5, 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. Death always follows sin. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his, say it, his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. God's grace and God's gift of righteousness is for living right now. Right now. Listen, not in heaven. You know, not one of these days when we're perfect and we have angel wings and we can play a harp and uh, we can sing, you know, beautifully and we look like we did when we were 16. And I don't even know if all that's true, but what Paul is saying is we've got to understand this. This is about living in triumph over sin and death now. We can reign over all the power that seems to overpower us. But it comes to us through Jesus Christ. Now that's what we're going to be unpacking the next few weeks. But for now, let me say this. If we could be free of this, right, free of this, if this could be broken, if we could, we could break free of this and live over here, why wouldn't we? If we could live a life here that triumphs over this, why wouldn't we? Paul wraps this up, verses 18 and 19. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Adam did something wrong, and it affected everyone. Jesus did something right and undid what Adam had done. Adam, in one act of disobedience, brought sin and condemnation 
and death to everybody. And Jesus' one act, dying on the cross for our sin, paying the penalty for our sin, overpowering sin, breaking the power of sin, has provided for us a way not just to go to heaven when we die, but to live here now a new kind of life, a life of triumph and victory over sin and death. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.